If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than 4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome back to Equity. I am Crunchbase News' Alex Wilhelm, and I'm very happy to be joined this week by TechCrunch's Kate Clark. Kate, welcome back. Thank you. How's it going? Uh, I'm good. We have a lot to go over, but you're back in the States. You were off in India, I think, yeah? I was, yeah, for two weeks. I just got back yesterday. So you're not jet lagged in the slightest right now. I am battling it. and I think I'm doing a great job. That is our dedication <laughs> to the podcast, everyone, by the way. Jet lagged, Kate, and I'm on vacation tomorrow, but here we are because inside the last hour, everything just happened. So this is going to be an episode with a lot of information, a lot of numbers. So roll with us. We're going to have a good time. But... Uh, we'll start with Pinterest, which has putatively uh, confidentially filed to go public. It has. Yeah. So my first day back from vacation, I was planning on taking it very easy. But then every company decided to release news at the same time, including Pinterest, which has confidentially filed for an initial public offering that we are expecting in in June, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. So the company was founded in 2008, which means they're over a decade old. So it's definitely about time for them to hit the public markets. Their most recent private valuation was a $12.3 billion with a $150 million round in 2017. They have raised a total of $1.5 billion in venture capital funding from Bessemer, Andreessen Horowitz, Firstmark, Fidelity, SV Angel, and tons of other investors. And at this point, they have nearly 2,000 employees in um, several countries, and they have 250 million monthly active users. And they have hit, let's see, 700 million in revenue in 2018, up from 472.9 million revenue in 2017. Well, on that 700 million revenue point, I think that was like the expectation that people had kind of as 2018 was coming to a close. So I'm dying to know what the final full year result was because the company, if it was just 700, but only post about, what is that, 40% growth mm -hmm. from 17 to 18, which is not wildly high for a company shooting for a 12 billion or higher valuation. It's great for a company, mm -hmm. but if you want that kind of revenue multiple, Growth has to be part of the equation. Yeah, I mean, this would be another um, great time for them to release an S1. I think this is it's really frustrating that all these companies now are confidentially filing because it leaves us a lot less time to really dig into the financials ahead of the IPOs. Yeah, we could do a lot more just in general in reporting and discussing and kind yeah. of understanding this stuff with more data points. So everyone uh, stop being a coward. I feel like I haven't seen an S1 in months. Well, I mean, I guess I haven't because I mean, the, I, the government shutdown has delayed a lot of IPOs and all of them are confidential anyway. Yeah, actually, I went ahead and published an article today. Uh, it's hard to toot my own horn, but it was like all the uh, 2019 IPOs that have come out so far. And the post was two lines. It was like, there are none. Ha ha, come back later. Um, because <laughs> I'm just kind of, I, I'm so annoyed that at this time of the year, there have been effectively zero US listed technology IPOs that have actually gone out. And it's right. And that's because of the government shutdown, right? Or what are the reasons behind government that? Government shutdown, a little market shop. I think people mm -hmm. also kind of wait and see who goes first. And we'll get to Lyft in a second. That's been kind of a bit of a dance between Lyft and Uber. But I mean, the good news for everyone out there who does like to see numbers and does like to see liquidity in the private markets, Pinterest is going to go out probably H1 this year, early H2 at the latest, unless something goes terribly wrong. But um, we should get an S1 probably in a month or two. And I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll soon enough, you'll have lifts to look through. Yes. Uh, so so Lyft was originally our lead story today. Uh, and then we were finishing the note doc uh, that we put together for each episode and uh, Pinterest uh, file. So 
Uh, now on to Lyft. Lyft is going to be going on its roadshow in a couple of weeks. News came out today, and we could see an S1 publicly uh, next week. So that means the the really long run into the ride-sharing IPO uh, season, if you will, mm-hmm. is about to begin. And we've been expecting this for some time. I believe Lyft filed confidentially. Oh, gosh, Kate, that was like December of last year, right? Yeah, that was – both Uber and Lyft were in December last year, I think, just ahead of the holidays. Mm. And that was a fun and, moment because they filed one right after the other and they were kind of jumping on each other's news cycles yet again. Uh, and here we have exactly. Lyft kind of pulling ahead uh, in the Well, race. we think so. Is it possible that Uber will drop its S1 the same day? <laughs> I mean, like what's what's stopping them from doing that? Well, getting it done. I mean, Uber is a larger company with uh, a more global operation, larger revenues, more employees, probably a more complicated cap table. It could actually take more time to prepare that S1 than it's going to take Lyft. Now, some of that can be an advantage. Maybe you think that the global aspect of Uber's business is a bonus. Maybe you think that it's uh, diverse revenue streams and Uber Eats and so forth make it better. True, maybe, but also more complicated to get out. So Lyft is going to be out soon. And that means I'm going to go ahead and, and bet myself like a dollar that it's going to beat uh, Uber to the markets, which puts us into a really interesting – Well, I mean, Yeah, don't bet too much because as we discussed earlier, we're often wrong with our – Predictions. Yes. Uh, all of our Pinterest predictions ever, according to Kate and I, have been wrong, uh, both on the show and in the, in the written words. So don't trust us. Um, but I want to go back in time a little bit, Kate, and talk about uh, the the IPO dynamics between the ride-sharing giants. Because for a long time back in like 2016 and in 2017, whenever these IPOs came up, people said, well, you know, they're never going to go public because once one of them goes out, the one that isn't public will just cut its prices, undercut the competitor, and run away with the market. So at the time, People thought that actually going public would be a, a disadvantage to either of these companies. Now that we know that Uber is still so unprofitable, my guess is if Lyft goes out, there's no way that Uber can afford to lower prices to try to steal ridership away from Lyft. And so there's actually not as much downside, or if there's any downside, to Lyft going first. So it kind of flips the competitive dynamics here. And I wonder if Lyft is just going to take advantage of that ride to the front of the column and then get out and have it be pretty clean. Yeah, definitely. I think that era of the the, two, the pair worrying so much about um, the downsides of an IPO is is over. I mean, at this point, they're such mature companies. And I think, I, I guess I'd previously said Uber would be more concerned about Lyft going out first, but I think you're right. I think Lyft will, it's, it's a great benefit for Lyft to hit the markets first, but it's not going to really impact Uber and Uber's IPO is what, like, 10 times, it'll be 10 times the size of, of Lyft's IPO. They're completely different IPOs. Uh, I agree. And, and to put Kate's point in perspective, Lyft is now rumored to be shooting for a 20 to $25 billion valuation uh, in its IPO. Okay. And if I so recall- Four times smaller than- Well, yeah. But if I, if I recall correctly, essentially uh, it was valued at 15, 15.1 billion mm-hmm. in its last private round. And Uber is supposed to be 120 billion when it goes out. So- Right. Yeah. There's a scale difference to your point. Definitely. Uh, one last note, though, before we scoot on to an enormous round that also just broke before the show. Uh, I think Lyft has raised $2.9 billion since April of 2017 uh, out of a total of $5.1 billion. So I just want to keep people's minds around how much money has been put into building these companies and so how much expectation is riding on this IPO going well. It's cool that for us to sit around and handicap it and talk about it and you know think about it competitively. But for a lot of people, this is billions of their capital that's been spent. So there's a lot of uh, weight on these shoulders. Definitely. Okay. So DoorDash, uh, again, right right before we began, everybody, uh, there has been another uh, super giant round, a $400 million round into DoorDash at a, a announced $7.1 billion 
uh, post money valuation. So this would be a six point seven billion dollar pre money valuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Premack over at Axios with the scoop. And what's interesting about this is essentially when news first broke about this offering, uh, sorry, this round back in early February, it was supposed to be a five hundred million dollar round at a six billion dollar valuation. So the amount of capital raised was slightly under expectations, but the valuation was quite sharper. Um, mm-hmm. which is not what I would have expected given that Postmates, which competes with DoorDash, has already filed and all of that. It seems like an odd win, uh, but a nice one, I think. Yeah, I mean, but from what I've heard, DoorDash seems to have be, you know, much larger and I guess more successful company than Postmates. I mean, I've heard, I think there were some jokes on Twitter when Postmates did file that they were just like, that Postmates is the the like best kept secret in Silicon Valley for being like a bad business and somehow like s- still keeping... A notable valuation. I I can't verify that information, but there was definitely a lot of um, Twitter talk around that. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I've used Postmates, I've used DoorDash, I've, I've used, used Uber yeah, Eats, I've used, I've used Grubhub forever. I feel like I'm kind of the omnivore of the food delivery world. Uh, but also, the thing that I keep in mind only about DoorDash versus Postmates, aside from the fact that I know the Postmates CEO, he's he's a nice guy, um, is that. Postmates is worth like $1.85 billion and DoorDash is now worth $7.1. So there is an enormous yeah. uh, gap between mm-hmm. the two, almost equ- equivalent in uh, comparative size to Lyft and Uber. And so I don't think they're kind of an apples to apples comparison because they're being valued very differently by investors. No, but Postmates has been around a lot longer, right? I think Postmates was one of the early earlier players in the food delivery game. Yeah, and they've done and they've done well. I mean, I think that if you go back three years ago when um, Munchery and Spoon Rocket and a lot of companies in the space were kind of imploding. Uh, people thought mm-hmm. that these companies would be rolled over by Uber and that there would be essentially nothing left of them. But instead, we've seen more capital going in, IPOs getting filed. So it's pretty encouraging. I don't know, but I will tell you when the S1 comes out, we will bring it to equity and talk about it. So Yeah, and it, it is good to see competitors gaining ground because I don't want it to be a, a monopoly when Uber Eats is the only player in the space and, you know. Just that's not the world I want yeah, to live I, in. I, I feel like I already give too much of my money to Uber. and um, Exactly. It's, it's, it's always very – I don't want to give them any so more So embarrassing. Money. I hate when I land in SF and I'm like getting Ubered to my house and I order Uber Eats from my Uber. Then I time it so that when I get home, the burritos arrive. Like that's just – even I feel kind just of start, You got to No, you got to switch to another app. I like using Caviar. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Actually, I just know we're off topic. Um. That's that's my fault. Uh, But the reason why we wanted to talk about uh, the DoorDash round right now is that the SoftBank Vision Fund uh, has put money into the company and according to Axios, has again put money into this round because the Vision Fund, as you can kind of imagine, has been very, very active. And there are, in fact, two other rounds that they're part of this week uh, that we have to get to, starting off with a thing called Clutter. What the hell is that? Yeah, so Clutter's um, a Los Angeles-based startup that provides on-demand storage services at least that's what they began with and now they also help you move so if you're moving apartments um you can use the clutters app and they'll come with a big van and help you move which sounds great because moving is a huge hassle so i think that's a great idea they've um just this week confirmed a story that TechCrunch had earlier reported um that they've raised um let's see 200 200 million dollar round from the softbank vision fund um which brings their total raise to date to 297 million um Clutter did not give us a valuation, but um, according to a TechCrunch reporter, um, they're going to be valued between 400 and 500 million with this latest investment. And that was from sort of an estimate based off their last valuation. And uh, SoftBank's Justin Wilson is joining Clutter's board of directors. So that's one of the big rounds that SoftBank 
was involved in this week. The second is even larger. Before we do that one, can I ask a question about this? Because I'm fascinated by some numbers. You said they've raised a $200 million round, but their total capital to date is now just about 300. So essentially, this new round is twice what they had raised total before in one chunk. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. I think that's something we're seeing a lot these days, especially when SoftBank's involved. I mean, SoftBank, you know how they work. They come in, they give companies like 10 to 20 times what they've brought in in the past. They give them huge rounds. Um, 200 million actually for SoftBank is Right. But I, I just thinking about a company that has gotten by on, let's say, a $60 million previous round, and then they also have 200. I mean, you don't have the infrastructure in place to I mean, spend that money. I, I mean, think about how... Uh, the company, what's the name of that one company that SoftBank gave a ton of money to that um, brandless. brandless, brandless. Think about that. I mean, you just have to, as long as the CEO and, or, you know, the, the, the C level team is very cautious and smart about those, you know, deploying that capital, then it can be just fine. It just depends. And, and these are one of those things where we I have mean, to wait and see. Everyone knows that people in Silicon Valley are notoriously conservative with how they spend capital. Right. There's been no reports right. ever of frivolous spending. <laughs> but there's got to be some. <laughs> there's got to be some that can hand, like that can actually handle the cash. And I mean, like this is a great experiment because SoftBank has now done this with WAG. They've done it with um with Brandless. They've given these these companies so much money and kind of just we get to just wait and see whether they implode and you know spend all the cash yeah. right away or they actually hold on to it and they put a lot of money in the bank and they're able to Only scale. Only Slack has ever done and, that. Um, you know, in, in my right. thinking about Slack, they were supposed to yeah. have like what nine hundred million cash <clears throat> last October, um, if I recall the, the stories correctly. Right, and then they just created a VC fund internally because they right. had so much. Extra That's cash. a good problem to have. <laughs> maybe maybe brand most companies do don't yeah. hold on to it. Most companies spend it. They raise it and they invest it in themselves and they try to grow as fast as they can to kind of reach that. The valuation they've just bought themselves with that amount of capital. Um, and I, I want to go old timey here and bring up my dad for the first time I think ever on this show. Um, he told me a story back when I was a wee lad about a, like a poetry magazine or something like that. And some person died and left him like a million dollars. And this magazine had survived on a shoestring and it never had more than five dollars to its name, but it got by because it had a real vision and you know it, it, it mm-hmm. persevered because it cared about what it did. The money essentially killed the publication. It just kind of fell apart and died. Because it was too much. It had indigestion. And that brings up a startup cliche that we've all heard, which is most startups die of indigestion as opposed to starvation. And so those two Mm -hmm. relatively cliched anecdotes and phrases in my head makes me worry when I see $200 million into a company that only raised $97 million to date. But again, it's an experiment and we'll see. And I may use clutter when I move. So there you go. Right. And I mean, it, it is an experiment. And SoftBank's not the only investor you know, leading rounds that for startups that have raised previously very small amounts. I think just because there's so much capital in the market, a lot of this is happening a lot of the time. And actually, your reaction is making me realize that I'm so numb to these kind of huge increases in deal sizes that I thought nothing of that. I mean, we get inured, right? But we shouldn't get. I, I'm trying to not let myself forget that a Series A used to be three and a half, and you had to fight really hard to get like a 15 pre. You know, so like uh, it, it, the world will eventually return to normal. I just don't know how long we're going to be here. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it could be a new normal. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Well, let's talk about another round that has the exact same problem, uh, Flexport. Yeah, exact same. Yeah, so as I was saying, Flexport raised $1 billion um, led by the SoftBank Vision Fund. So they've previously, no, they've raised to date $1.3 billion across six funding rounds so they've now so alex that's your note so they've now raised 
2.3 billion? Um, no, I think it's actually that's inclusive of the 1 billion. So I believe they had raised 3 million so before. Wow, okay. And now I see So that's an even more dramatic than than in Clutter's case. So six rounds they'd raised 300 million dollars. They've now in one round raised yeah, 1 so billion. Yeah. So it's a crazy amount of money. So just going back wow. to their funding history to put that a little bit in perspective, um their current round 1 billion, their preceding round which was April 27th back in 2018 was a 100 million dollar round. So this is 10 times as much as they raised in their preceding round according to public uh, records. That's dramatic. That's going to change that's going to change things. That is dramatic, yeah. And I think as we were discussing earlier, this is a very hot industry at the moment. There are a lot of companies within the freight industry that are raising large financing rounds from venture capitalists. I think just let's see uh, other companies that have recently brought in rounds. Um, Shippo is one. They've raised, oh gosh, I'm going to make this up. It's between 20 and $30 million. And uh, just prepping for the show, I found a list of 30 companies that are startups in the logistics space, some of which I hadn't even heard of. I feel like two or three years ago, there was kind of a boom in investment in this niche and everyone wanted to have exposure to it. And now we're seeing even more capital come in. So the bets increase in size. Yeah. And I imagine it's a fairly capital intensive business, which it would explain a $1 billion investment. At least I hope so, because that is, so that is a money, lot of Kate. money. I mean, it's a, I mean that's <laughs> yeah. that's like what, like six funds for, uh, for Fred Wilson over at Union Square or whatever the hell he raises per round. I mean, it's ludicrous. And that's what we, what I didn't mention is they raised this at a $3.2 billion valuation, which going into the next topic on our list today is some troubles of the SoftBank Vision Fund. Some of SoftBank's largest investors, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and Abu Dhabi's Muadala Investment Company think that SoftBank is overpaying and investing at valuations that are much too high. So, I mean, I'm not sure if a deal like Flexport, you know, a 3.2 billion valuation is notable. I'm not sure if that's on their radar or not, but I wonder if they think, you know, that's too expensive. Yeah. I, the problem that we see here is that there's no real competition for the Vision Fund in terms of scale. I think they're uh, unique in terms of their ability to write large checks and very quickly. So they're kind of making their own market in a way. It isn't like you know Sequoia versus Kleiner versus Bessemer for a Series B in a cool company. And where will the valuation be? Um, they're going and putting historic amounts of money into a huge number of companies at valuations that can be at times, at least to me, staggering. So to see some pushback from their money sources, their investors, their LPs, uh, I mean, to, to quote Starcraft, hell, it's about time, right? I, I, I'm shocked it took this long for it to spill out. Uh, and Kate, uh, as we talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks, there was the WeWork deal uh, in which they could, uh, the Vision Fund could have almost bought a controlling stake in the company, and that was back down to a much smaller investment. Um, do you think that's kind of from the same tension that we're seeing now come up in the media regarding the Vision Fund and its investors? Yeah, so it sounds like, the LPs and the Vision Fund are just not satisfied with, you know, Sun's investment strategy. As you mentioned, the WeWork deal, he wanted to invest $16 billion in WeWork for for a minor, minority stake in the company. And, and something happened because they changed that to a $2 billion deal, which is a huge decrease. Like, I think when that happened, we were all like, what? Like, that's an insane an insane um, transition from, from, I mean, that's, I don't think anybody really expected that. And it has to be because the LPs were not satisfied. Yeah. I mean, one, so 2 billion out of 16 is one eighth, which is 12 and a half percent, which means 87.5% of that deal went away. Right. That's like, whoops. Uh, and publicly too, because we had already talked about it. We had known the rough outlines of the deal. We kind of knew what it was going to cost, but it came after endless ridicule in the press. I mean, honestly, I, I'm part of that, uh, of WeWork's valuation when no one can understand from whence it comes. No one gets where this valuation uh, stems from because all the public comps would value WeWork at like 
10% of what it currently is. Yeah. I mean, WeWork's, WeWork's valuation has been a mystery for a long time. I remember there was there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal, like, I don't know, sometime in maybe 2017, that just said the company was just covered with um, Silicon Valley fairy dust or something. Just There's just absolutely no rhyme or reason behind any of the financial, any of the numbers that come out of there. And now, they haven't they used, like, created their own metrics, too, for their financial documents? Yeah. So on this show, we tend to hew towards gap metrics uh, with exceptions for ARR or annual recurring revenue. We do look at EBITDA sometimes, but uh, we do not allow WeWork's community-adjusted EBITDA because that is a number that is uh, – it's not a profit metric. It's just – it's a – I don't even know how to describe it, but it means nothing. Uh, and I think if you have to reach, right? But if you have to reach that far uh, into the into the sack to find something that makes you look good, it's probably indicative of a problem. But um, I don't own any WeWork stock. I never will, and I've uh, barely been in one, so not my problem to have. But it's up to Vision Fund to figure it out. But and and just looping back around, um, we we much of what we just talked about came from a Wall Street Journal article as well. And um, you know, it's not just about inflated valuations that the LPs are concerned about. There's a quote in the in the story. Um, Some investors have complained to the Saudis that Mr. Sun can overrule fund executives on investment decisions and that the fund's decision making process is chaotic, often leading to last minute reversals. And as we just discussed, that we work deal look to have had a last minute reversal that we don't know the cause. uh, To to almost give them credit here, I don't think that tough decisions and and reversals, given the scale of money and the pace they're working at, are too shocking, Um, especially because not every VC fund in Silicon Valley, which makes one-tenth the deals at one-hundredth the investment dollar value, is particularly well run. Like There's there's always going to be some tension. I don't know if that's as indicative of of terror as the valuations are, but it, it is worth noting. It's I just wish we knew a little bit more. You know, I wish I got to report more on the Mission Fund because there's going to be like 10 books worth of material on this fund by the time it's burned through the last uh, like 30 or 40 billion it has to invest somewhere in there. Yeah, well, they've, they've, they've deployed $60 billion and they, I mean, according to various, you know, news reports in the last few months, they are planning to raise more money. So the Vision Fund's not going anywhere. Yeah, so. Let's talk about that. So one last little note this weekend, we're really shooting to keep equity like 25 minutes. So it's kind of kind of short and, and tight. But like people are talking a lot about the Vision Fund and its money, especially as we know more and more and more about uh, the Saudi Arabian regime and how it's been acting uh, recently, let alone how it treats women and minorities and uh, all sorts of people. And um, there was a lot of uh, pushback in, in the in the media world, at least after the uh, the killing of uh, the journalist from the Washington Post by the Saudi Arabian government. And you know, will people in the tech world still take money from the Vision Fund when a very large percent of it, like forty percent, whatever it is, comes from uh, the Saudi Arabian uh, government? And the answer is uh, they will. They absolutely will. <laughs> so there's the answer to that question. What you just said is, you know, people have been talking about it. Well, yeah, people have been talking about it, but it seems like it's mostly, at least in the tech world, it seems to be tech press and it seems to be journalists who are individually calling out these companies. Meanwhile, the CEOs of these companies are not saying anything and they're not being transparent and they're not admitting, you know, they're not admitting the source of their capital. Like, sure, that of course they say, you know, we raise the money from SoftBank, but like they should be holding themselves accountable and at least providing some kind of statement or, you know, ideally more to, you know, their users, to just anybody so that the, so the community can be aware of how these companies are being funded. But but that's not happening at all. So I think we were talking about earlier, uh, one thing that I've liked is Aaron Griffith of The New York Times is sort of taken to 
tweeting each time a company is raising from SoftBank and just being like, hey, guys, just wanted to remind you. Let's sure. see. I'll read um, one of her tweets. She says, uh, just a friendly reminder that Saudi Arabia is the largest investment in SoftBank Vision Fund, which is the largest inv- investment fund in Silicon Valley. And she says that while yeah. quoting Flexport's announcement of its SoftBank Vision Fund deal. So, yeah, I think more m- I would love to see more of this um, because I think people are forgetting too easily that where this money is coming from and not that there's a major issue. Yeah, I want to point the uh, the guilt right at you and I though, because I realized that we were joking earlier about our overuse of Uber, and Uber is owned a large chunk of Uber is owned by uh, Saudi Arabia through the Vision Fund. So at the same time as we're being critical of the other people, I don't want to let us off the hook and uh, and not point the fingers at us. But um, you know, these investments, if they go well, will uh, put more money into the pocket of the Saudi royal and ruling family. And that's, um, I don't know, as a, it doesn't make me wildly happy as a person who's in favor of religious plurality and uh, minority rights. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that we have the answers, of course, but I think one positive step forward is at the very least, if these companies are going to take money from SoftBank, they should at least be willing to have a dialogue about it. Yep. And on that super uplifting note, this has been Equity, the global political edition. And uh, we're very glad that Kate's home. We're glad that you're with us and we will see you all in seven days. Stay cool. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week.